I'm Corey Callahan with the check of the forecast. It makes a sun and cloud for today with a high of 20 degrees. The winds will be from the north switching to the northwest at about 10 kilometers an hour. For tonight, fog will be developing overnight, a few clouds and a low of 7 degrees. For tomorrow, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 16. And we're really flipping the switch on the temperatures later this week. Thursday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 7. There's even a chance of some wet flurries as well. The average for this time of year is 14 degrees. Sorry, what did you say, Corey? Did I just hear the word flurries? It's 13 degrees outside 680 CJOB. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb unconnecting Winnipeg. That threw me off. Yeah, I was uh, saying not nice things in my studio here to Corey Callahan. <laughs> I'm glad my microphone wasn't on. Jeff Forche, thank you for uh, saving me from massive embarrassment because my microphone was on here. But Jeff minds the microphone uh, while I'm... Well, I'm off the air. Yeah. Uh, flurries. I heard whispers of this yesterday. You know what? Let's just ignore it. Yeah. If we ignore it, it will not happen. Isn't that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. We heard Shane Hewitt on the shift was talking about how he saw somebody pass a snow brush to one of their friends in the parking lot the other day saying, oh, you're going to need one of these. So why don't you just take it? And he was saying, no, don't don't put it in your car. Do not take it out and put it in your car because if you put the snow brush in the car, then that will invite the snow to come. That's really a good point. And also, just before we move on, you read that uh, promotion for what's going on at the Refit Center. Today, yesterday, we had a substantial conversation about pickleball and the craze that has become pickleball. That's one of the places where you can actually try it out oh, is yeah? at the Refit. They've got courts on the inside Inside the track, it's uh, one of the activities they offer at the refit. So if our conversation about pickleball piqued your interest yesterday, go and check out that open house and uh, you can maybe even give uh, pickleball a try. Awesome. And on the subject of pickleball at 645, we're going to tell you how you can win yourself some bomber tickets for Saturday's game. And it's going to be using that pickleball discussion as the launch pad. So details on that at 645. Uh, as far as other stuff to give away, we've got Boo at the Zoo, family four pack of tickets. And at 705, we have a big concert announcement and we're going to have tickets to give away for that as well. But we are going to be spending much of the day today Talking about derelict buildings as we invite several mayoral candidates to join us. So over every Tuesday, Thursday for the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on a major topic as we approach the civic election. And today's focus, derelict buildings and the growing problem. Yeah, so this morning, Sean Loney and Kevin Klein will join us here on The Start. Loney at 745, Klein at 835. And then Rana Bakari and Scott Gillingham will join Loren on Connecting Winnipeg. Robert Falcon will let... And Rick Schoen will both join the Jim Toth show after 1 o'clock this afternoon. And as of this moment, Glenn Murray has uh, declined the opportunity to participate. And as I understand it, uh, Brett, we have not uh, been able to get in touch with Jenny Motkalek's campaign uh, to confirm uh, participation in this series of discussions, uh, six in total. She's actually on with Rich and Julie at five thirty-five today. Okay, so that's been uh, that's been rectified. So there you go. So really, of the of the top eight candidates, only uh, Glenn Murray 
has uh, has not been confirmed uh, to join us today or in any other of the conversations for the next three weeks. So if you have a question on derelict buildings, send it our way, 204-780-6868. After Global News at 6.30, we want to play a portion of a conversation that Rich and Julie had yesterday with Police Staff Sergeant Rob Duchin, who was featured in... Uh, piece that Richard put together back in August where he went to visit some of those derelict buildings. So I just wanted to give you an update on where the interdepartmental working group is at. They are making some headway, but this is a big, big problem. So that's coming up at 6.35. And uh, another thing we're going to be discussing today as well is Thanksgiving. Cost of food. It's a little pricier. Are you gonna? Were you planning to have a, a bigger dinner? Maybe, maybe got used to having the, the smaller gathering, and you'd like to have the bigger group dinner. Dinner, but oh boy, it's going to cost a bit more to do that. Well, isn't that another one of these things that maybe we didn't do during the pandemic, or maybe they were scaled down, and so you got used to not doing, not going out and doing those big shops for these big family gatherings, and so now. As you get ready for this one coming up this weekend, it's really going to be some sticker shock in terms of how much things cost and uh, what are you going to buy? Are you adjusting your menu? Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, will join us in about an hour's time. We'll, we'll talk about that. They did a survey about who plans to eat what and what's impacting their choices as to what goes on the dinner table this weekend. Yeah, turkey is widely considered essential for Thanksgiving dinner, so says the food professor, with three and five people ranking it as the number one most important food and three and four ranking it among the top three. Uh, so that's coming up at 7.05. Uh, turkey. Turkey and pumpkin pie, uh, almost essential in my mind. For, for me, the, the best part of the turkey, well, I, I like the skin from the turkey, yes. but I always enjoyed the, the turkey more as a, as a housing unit for the stuffing. Okay, because the stuff once the <laughs> stuffing comes out of the bird, yes, then it's much better. Like if you have to, you can still have the stuffing and enjoy it, but if it hasn't been marinating inside the turkey, I, it doesn't quite have the same kick. So stovetop stuffing is not your thing. It's it's you know it's okay. It has its place. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just better if it's been in the turkey. That, that's fair. That's okay. fair. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. Yesterday we talked about a game, Mr. Mackling, that is exploding in popularity, uh, even with various professional leagues, millions of people playing this game in North America. Uh, we found out yesterday that for as popular as this sport is, pickleball is in the United States. Based on the numbers and the surveys, it may be twice as popular in Canada per capita. So pickleball uh, caught the attention of, of lots of folks last week because a group including LeBron James invested some money into Major League Pickleball. And so it's something that we'd been chit-chatting about just casually over the last several years. And we did a deep dive on it yesterday. And so it's got us inspired to talk about something else today. 
using pickleball as a sort of a jumping off point. If you don't know what pickleball is, by the way, it's a racket-based sport. It's kind of a combination of badminton, table tennis, and tennis, where you hit like a perforated hollow ball uh, back and forth. And yeah, it's getting super popular. So today's question, what is your favorite either uncommon sport uh, or just like your favorite yard kind of game that you like to play? Like I know, Greg, you like... uh, I I think it's called, some people call it cornhole. Yes. Uh, oh, I'm in cowboy golf. That's a different thing. And some people know that as a different, like ladder golf. Ladder right. golf. That, that's a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so 204-780-6868. And if you have a story involved, like, like maybe you have a, a mishap sort of story, like uh, maybe you got hit in the head with a horseshoe. I don't know. While you were playing horseshoes one weekend or you were playing some frizz knock oh. and you knocked somebody... Off the deck instead of knocking over the bottle. Let's go over the go around the horn here, starting with uh, Cameron Poitras. Horseshoes um, is a great game, very very popular amongst my family. There's been several tournaments uh, that we've held, like when the whole family gets together on the Hofer side, and yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I'm never any good. I think I got to I, I won two games one time. That's the best I've ever done. Uh, but my grandpa, he was, he was the king, uh, he was the horseshoe king and, and he knew it. Uh, he'd have this little grin on his face when he threw the horseshoe and he'd hit a ringer. He would often do that or make a good shot or hit a leaner or something like that. He would just go, he'd just go, ha! he'd make a nice shot and he'd go, ha! and, uh, I think the quote, uh, the quote, even one time he just sat back, leaned back and went, I'm the best. And yeah, he, amongst the family, he was. I don't know, like his global ranking, and maybe it was a lot higher than maybe we knew. But yeah, he global was. ranking. I I'm not sure where it is. There's maybe there's a tally somewhere. Someone's keeping the global <laughs> ranking. Maybe Herman Hofer was high on that list. Uh, but uh, no, he was he was just he, he was great at horseshoes. And uh, yeah, he wasn't afraid to tell everybody how good he was. Uh, there was. Um... <laughs> ha! I just remember him doing that. Oh my god. And, <laughs> That's great. Uh, what about you, Jeff Braun? You know, uh, I, I can get down with a little botchy time to time, and that's sort of similar to horseshoes, uh, I guess, except with balls instead of horseshoes. But then after about 10 minutes, you know, I'm done with it, and I, I want to <laughs> sit down because, I mean, the only reason I came to this picnic anyways was to sit and eat, so I'd just like to get back to that, please. <laughs> fair fair enough. What about you, Mackling? <laughs> well, I was going to say uh, – Street hockey, just hearkening back to the days in the West End when we played for the Hammer Cup, and that's just too long of a story. So Wii Bowling, the original Wii and that bowling game is incredibly addicting. We used to have tournaments uh, in our house on a regular basis, even uh, my my dad, my stepmom, and the boys, and, and it was a ton of fun. We've gotten away from it. I think we're going to have to dig out that game because... The Wii bowling is uh, about as close as you're going to get me to a bowling alley on the on a regular basis. I just won't wear those shoes. That Nintendo Wii bowling and, and the, the various games that came in that package when the Wii first came out, those were so much fun. But uh, I remember playing them, uh, and I'd not been going to the gym for a while, and I'd play that game, and I would be a sweaty, disgusting mess, especially after the boxing game. The boxing one was tough, is tough. And uh, I'm with you, Brett. I couldn't keep up with that one. But uh, the other one I like is the is the baseball yeah. as well, swatting the home runs. And you just, you, you find a little bit of a trick. Or you just got to flick the wrist. Flick the, yeah, but uh, yeah. 
sort of, but I could do them one-handed. And when the kids were little, it seemed very impressive. Now that they're older, it's like, Dad, you don't even need to do that. You just, like you say, flick the wrist. <laughs> there's no there's no magic there. <laughs> ah, kids. Isn't that what the we... fun, you know, like to, to, to stand there and like pretend like you're actually Oh, 100%. <laughs> Like, no, you just sit I on even, the couch and just go like this. You know, that's, Cam, come on. Cam, I even had the baseball bat where you put the, <laughs> where you put the controller inside yeah. the baseball bat. And the tennis, the tennis is good. They got the tennis racket. Yep. I don't know why it felt just a little bit better to have the actual racket. Forte, what about you? You're going to learn to be true dodgeballers. <laughs> then you've got to learn the five Ds of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. If you master the five Ds, no amount of balls on earth can hit you. Oh, that's dodgeball, and that's actually not the sport I was going to pick. I just like the movie and want to play the clip. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, what would be the sport that you'd pick? Ultimate Frisbee. It's been years since I've played it, but it's just, it's so much fun. Plus, it's like, like you guys were saying, a flick of the wrist. That's how you throw the Frisbee. Got to snap that wrist and, uh watch that frisbee go and i remember in high school playing it and uh sometimes i'd get a little uh a little competitive and uh a little hectic and sometimes the frisbee would get out of my hand and i got it stuck in the basketball <laughs> net and uh, just a tragedy but yeah i would love to play ultimate frisbee again yeah you know what game i would like to play again uh, belgian bowling you ever you ever been down in the ba- basement of the belgian club Mackling? Nope. Nope. Yeah, it's uh, it's, I believe it's called Rolly Bowley. Uh, spelled R O L L E B O L L E. Or perhaps it's Rolly Bully. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's uh, so you you roll these um, they're like discs. They kind of look like it kind of looks like a curling rock, but they're 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 manufactured in a way so they don't roll in a straight line, but cut sort of a curved line. And you oh pl- wow! And you play on uh. uh a playing surface that's made typically of soil or crushed limestone, yeah. and um, yeah, you just sort of roll them back and forth, and you got it. Whoever gets it closer to the to the stick in the middle, and I think you can actually carom these things off the wall. Um, I've never. I would like to see it like played for real, but I've played it a couple of times there, and it's fun. So I've it's indoors at the Belgian Club. Yeah, it's downstairs. I don't know if they still offer it. But uh, I've been down there a couple of times to play it, and I just had a great time. So what is either the uncommon sport or sort of yard-style game that you like to play? 204-780-6868. If you have a story to go with that, even better, shoot us a text for a chance to win bomber tickets. We're going to pick a winner at 915. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. We've got tickets for Saturday's Bomber game. Edmonton is in town at IG Field on Saturday, and we are asking you, inspired by yesterday's discussion about the growing popularity of pickleball, what is an either maybe a less common sport that you like to play or a yard kind of game? Um, or I guess we we could venture into board games ish. Like someone, one of our listeners said, Crokinole. How could I forget Crokinole? Yeah, see, you got got to exercise that finger, that flicking finger. So that I think that makes it allowable. It's an activity. Yeah, I love Crokinole, and um, 
Uh, that, that was uh, Sue, I believe, who suggested the crokinole. But uh, what does James have for us? Our family in September long weekend still has a lawn darts tournament with the old metal tip lawn darts. We have three sets that are still in uh, good condition. But it's a highlight of the summer for my parents and older aunts and uncles. What a ton of fun and memories. And uh, Dave uh, wants to bring back long darts, uh, <laughs> Brett, even though uh, you can't buy them anymore. Dave says, uh, bring back long darts. So much fun at family gatherings. Just bring in mandatory helmet law when using them. So you can't buy any form of lawn darts anymore? Like they haven't made uh, made them differently or plastic them or whatever? You can have these plastic ones, I think, with a, sort of a ball on the end of them and they're weighted differently. But yeah, those, those old lawn darts that we grew up with that were basically just a, you know, a stabbing device. <laughs> no, you can't buy those anymore. <laughs> 204-780-6868, the games that you enjoy playing. Uh, maybe something like Tetherball. Remember Tetherball? I do remember Tetherball. Never really played it, though. Yeah. I, I never understood the concept. I only played it, uh, we had this summer camp at a school called Bernie Wolf, and that was one of the games that we we got to play all kinds of interesting games, and they we got to shoot bows and arrows and stuff. But yeah, Tetherball, I, I seem to remember it being kind of fun. <laughs> Breakfast with the Bombers, and we have to be careful what sort of language we use when welcoming members of the Winnipeg Football Club into <laughs> Breakfast with the Bombers, because we know we are not supposed to mention a 13-2 and record, or the fact the team has clinched a home playoff game for the second season in a row. So we won't. We won't talk about that. We will only talk about going 1-0 this week with star receiver, former Manitoba Bison star Winnipeg's own Nick Dembski. Good morning, Nick. Morning. How you guys doing? We're doing really well. Uh, you know, the coaching staff and, and you players have really trained us on the language used, the mindset of the team. It's quite impressive. Does anyone need to remind you any more of the looking to go 1-0 and this week frame of mind? Every morning. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really the first thing that we kind of talk about in our goals for the week is just, uh, you know, going one and know every morning. So, yeah, there's definitely a nice little gentle reminder uh, every time you walk into the building. One of the things we're talking about this morning, Nick, is the games that we enjoy playing, the, the sports that we enjoy playing. And uh, I didn't know this, uh, but Greg alerted me to this. You played hockey in the MMJHL, the Charleswood Hawks. Do you still play hockey? I play a little bit, but not not as much as I used to, honestly. Um, but yeah, I know I played for the Hawks all the way up until I think my third year of university. So I used to play it quite often, but now it's kind of just like you know, if a beer league uh, team need, needs a call up or something like that, then then I'll show up and uh, show them a couple things. <laughs> show them a couple things. They still have some tricks up your sleeve, which is good to know, Nick. And you know, as as kids, I think are forced to make a decision on what sport they're going to concentrate on younger and younger. What were the benefits for you of being a multi-sport athlete when, when you were a youngster? Yeah, I mean, just always being in a, in a competition mindset. I mean, I think that's kind of the biggest thing. You know, even the coach there, the kids that I coach, I tell them, you know, you should play as many sports as you can because, I mean, that means you're going to be competing all year and so just, just for six months. So, to me, I, I really feel, you know, the more sports and the more diverse that you are and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to make you a better athlete as well, just with body control and just knowing your body and everything like that. 
So on that front of some of the unusual sports and games that people play this morning, first of all, what inspired it is the growing popularity of pickleball. Have you ever played pickleball? I've never played, but I've seen courts while I was in Mexico, actually. That was probably the first time I've seen courts of that. So I've, I've been interested in playing, but I've actually never, ever uh, tried playing it before. But it does look pretty fun. And on the subject of like a backyard games, are there any backyard games that you miss or that maybe you still play in your downtime? Yeah, I play. Uh, oh man, what's 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 the game um, when you kind of have the board and you have the bean bags and you try to you toss them in the in the or cornhole? I'll play cornhole a little bit. Um, you know, Osha actually had a couple of us over uh, earlier on in the in, in the year. Uh, just kind of as a team barbecue, and we were also playing horseshoes as well. And I mean, I used to play that on the campground growing up. So, uh, just just little games like that, I, I I like to play for sure. Nick, you know, there's a video game for cornhole, and there's a pro league. So maybe there's, you know, post football, <laughs> there might be some options for you you hadn't thought about. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. But you know, I got I definitely have a nice little finesse touch to, to my throw. So. You know, hopefully I'll just keep working on that. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe that opportunity will come knocking on my door one of these days. Well, do you do the lob with the beanbag or you do the do oh, you yeah. do the spin? Do you kind of spin them on their side? I, I, depending on the circumstance, I, I can go either way. What about you? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about the lob. I try, to, I try to just lob it in there. So, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But <laughs> it's always a good time. Dembski, nothing but net. Nick, uh, we know you've got a busy morning. It's a busy week. The Elks are coming to town. We, you know, we sometimes talk football, but we generally like to just have a good time, learn a little bit more about our Blue Bombers on Breakfast with the Bombers. Thanks for playing along with us this morning, and good luck on on Saturday. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Nick Dembski joining us live on 680 CJOB for Breakfast with the Bombers. And if you want to go to the game on Saturday, we do have tickets to give away, and we're asking you about those you know, maybe less common sports that you enjoy playing or the games you enjoy playing in the backyard. And uh, we're getting so many great ones. What's this listener have for us, Greg? We, we used to love playing neighborhood hide and seek. We would use half the bay. There were eight or nine houses and we would hide on shed roofs behind <laughs> garages. It was a blast, the good old days. And in our neighborhood, one of uh, my neighbors used to have like a, a little um, shed for the garbage cans. And that was a really popular place to hide, if you could if you could squeeze yourself in there. I played. I remember playing hide and seek. With uh, I went to my friend's place for New Year's Eve. I don't know, ten years ago, and uh, maybe longer. And I wasn't even in the door, and their daughter came running, two years old. Never met her, but her and uh, one of my other friend's daughters came uh, accosted me. Brett, let's play hide and seek. Like, um, okay, sure, that sounds fun. Can I just get a drink first? <laughs> and then I went and hid in a closet in the laundry room. I was in there for 45 minutes. Oh, the game was done, and you didn't even realize? Oh, no, they couldn't. They just couldn't find me. Couldn't find you? Were they calling you? They fi- Yeah, they, they, and they finally, their dad had to come find me. <laughs> and he opens the closet, and he just casually says, Hey, Brett, how you doing? Like, I'm kind of thirsty. <laughs> I ran out. <laughs> I need a reload. <laughs> It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg today from 10 until 12. She'll be back with us uh, next week on The Start, so we're looking forward to that. But um, <laughs> best laid plans, really. What, what, what can you say at this point? Because we are having some, techno- some technology issues. 
potential technology issues in trying to get a hold of our guest uh, at this moment because as we get into the home stretch of the civic election campaign, we're launching a series of discussions on six issues which have made their way to the forefront of this campaign. Issues that affect our family, our safety, our daily drives are decided by who we elect on October 26th. And today we are focusing on derelict buildings. On Thursday, our focus will shift to transit. And next week, crime will be in the spotlight on Tuesday and homelessness and housing issues Thursday. And then we will wrap our conversations with the candidates with the day of discussion on roads and active transportation Uh, That'll be on the 18th and the future of downtown on the 20th. So we are hoping to kick this off today. We had Sean Loney scheduled to speak to us right now, and we're unable to get through, so we don't know if this is an issue with our phone system. We don't know if this is a network issue. I've sent him a text as well. My phone still appears to be working. Is your? I'm going to text you right now. My fact, phone is working. I've been texting with folks all morning um, without any issue. Jeff Forche called his own cell phone from our switchboard without any difficulty. Okay. It's just, I, I don't know what to say right now. This is a little frustrating. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's double check here. I just got a phone number from our executive producer. <laughs> Yeah, that number is matching up with the one that we have on paper here. So sorry to bring you back uh, so deep in behind the curtains here, but this is a big deal. These conversations are critical. And when we have, I think the last poll had 40% of Winnipegers undecided, uh, basically three, you know, I know that's taken a few weeks ago, but so we'll call, call it within weeks of a civic election. That means you don't know who you're going to vote for. Boy, Captain Obvious there. But we wanted to help you uh, based on discussions, very intimate conversations and detailed conversations about the about the topics that that we have garnered from you as your priorities. All right. So in the meantime, you can text us at 204-780-6868 on what you would like to hear from the mayoral candidates who we're going to speak to today on specifically on derelict buildings because every Tuesday and Thursday we're going to cover a different topic and schedule on the schedule for today Kevin Klein set to join us at 8:35 Rana Bakari with Loren on connecting Winnipeg at 10:15 Scott Gillingham with Loren on connecting Winnipeg at 11:30 and then on the Jim Toth show Robert Falcon Willette at one o'clock, followed by Rick Schoen at one fifteen, and Jenny Motkaluk is going to be joining Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham on the news. And again, that's at five thirty-five. So, eight thirty-five. We will resume this conversation on derelict buildings. I guess we'll switch gears here. Yeah, I guess that's really our only choice, Brett. We can read all the questions that we had for Sean, uh, and uh, we can uh, talk in circles, but there's no benefit in that. Why don't we talk about the games that people play, the unusual games that people are playing, the backyard games, the games that live on. Uh, We just um, read a a note from one of our listeners who says uh, memories of Hide-and-seek in the neighborhood are fond ones. Sheila says, in our cul-de-sac, we play lots of yard games. 
with the neighbors. We even made a yard Jenga. Have you seen these giant Jenga games, Brett? Yeah. They're, they're impressive. And we play cornhole tournaments and bocce tournaments. And in the winter, we do loads of indoor board games, Ticket to Ride. We have pretty much all the different series of the board games as well as the classic. And dice games, Yahtzee. Now, this is where it might get... A little bit confrontational and maybe even illegal, Brett. We gamble $5 each in the pot. Did you say illegal? I'm just being funny. Trying to be funny. Uh, Games are our family and friends' life. Thank you for that, Sheila. That's great stuff. And uh, this listener says, grew up at gatherings at my grandparents playing croquet. Oh, that's, yeah, croquet. That was a popular one. Never knew the rules. Just enjoyed taking that mallet and hammering those wooden balls uh, through the little, through those little uh, horseshoe shaped things stuck in the ground. Mm-hmm. I think you had to get it to the what to the pole. I, I, I don't know what the rules were. You could knock your, you could knock your uh, competitors out of the way as well, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I've never yeah. played it either. Uh, the closest experience I think I've had with croquet in the last thirty years was watching it being played on the Amazing Race Canada this year. <laughs> Oh, they had to play it. They had a face-off. How I did that go? It was exciting because they none of these teams had ever played it, but you had to beat your the other team to keep going. Otherwise, you had to wait it out until, and if you were the last team standing, you just had to take a 15-minute penalty and then carry on with the mm. rest of your race. So, yeah, there was some, it was a high-stakes game of croquet. They were all terrible, by the way. Uh, and what is Ray... Is this Ray the Grain Guy in Minnedosa? Is that what he calls himself? Good morning. We have a set of lawn darts that lights up at night, as well as the Target Circles runs on little batteries. High-tech, old-fashioned fun. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, I like that. That's a good combination of sort of the new and the old because now you've got uh, so many... LED things that you can, like, have you seen these LED strips that people will put on the the back of their television that glow? Like, we've got this fancy LED light in our studio where you can change the color. So, yeah, you you put these strips in the back of your television, you can change the color, and it provides a nice sort of ambient glow behind the TV. Uh, So that's pretty cool. So uh, anything with flashing lights has uh, my stamp of approval. And if it's attached (laughs) to a lawn dart, even better. No kidding. Maybe just get those uh, LED strip lights like you mentioned. Just cut them because I know there's some that you can cut to length and uh, just slap them on there. You can make uh, all your games glow. Jenga glow. The uh, What's the the one uh, with the four... The one that you have to... Connect for? Connect for. <laughs> you have to connect the four colors together. What do they call that game, Brett? What is that one? The one with the four. <laughs> connect four. The sheep. Uh, the ones with the big horns. What do you call those? Big horn sheep, GMAC. Big horn sheep. All right. So hopefully we'll be able to connect with Sean Loney at some point, and we're going to have to investigate if this is a technology technology situation. Um, but Kevin Klein is set to join us at 835 to discuss derelict buildings. So keep those texts coming, by the way, on the games you like to play, the unusual or maybe not unusual, but the less common sports that you like to play for a chance to win bomber tickets Saturday night. Go see some football with Edmonton in town at IG Field. <laughs> It's Mackling and McGarry, McNabb on Connecting Winnipeg. Take two. Let's try this again. 
<laughs> we tried in our previous segment, and uh, well, let's just say we we figured out what was going on. So let's just get right into this here. The civic election campaign every Tuesday and Thursday for the next three weeks. We're going to be focusing on a variety of topics, uh, issues that affect our family, our safety. Are they're going to be decided by who we elect on October twenty sixth? And today we will focus on derelict building. Sean Loney is our first guest today. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Uh, you guys ever regret live radio? Uh, never, <laughs> ever. <laughs> there are vacant and derelict buildings throughout the city, concentrated in many North End and inner city neighborhoods. The last number we received from the city was over 600 of such structures. Winnipeg's fire paramedics services dealt with numerous fires in recent years. We've asked for the most up-to-date numbers from WFPS, but we haven't received them yet, Sean. But what, if anything, would you do to deal with this problem of derelict and, and, and abandoned structures? Yeah, good morning, and thanks for the question. I, I, this is uh, a, a great way to say I think that most of our problems are really opportunities in disguise. These uh, buildings can be uh, repurposed. We first have to really increase the charges that are applied to the owners for keeping them vacant. Uh, most of the owners are just sitting on them and, and make it really uh, financially difficult for them to continue to be vacant. We can also make an offer to them to purchase the properties. Uh, as you may know, I've announced earlier in the campaign a $100 million community housing land trust and these properties could be uh, um, uh, re- repurposed through the land trust. And we can even uh, hire people with barriers to employment to do the renovating and get them ready for people to live in. So uh, I think there's lots of, lots of good that can come out of this, but we've got to do things differently. Well, the process to just even track down owners of these houses can take months, if not years. So what steps are you going to take to reduce that time to deal with the owners of these properties? Well, the city has has lots of uh, ability to do that. I I don't think that's the main issue. I think the issue is just um, uh, not not sitting on them and and, and waiting for the problem to resolve itself. I think with a lot of our issues, complacency and just doubling down on on doing things the same old way is, uh, is what's getting us into trouble. And I really believe... Winnipeg's defining issue is our ability to connect the people who most need the work with the work that most needs to be done. And I just see these uh, these buildings as being a great opportunity for uh, for creating some employment and training. Uh, we could see as a result of that a reduction in the police workload so police can respond more quickly t- to uh, when we call 911. Um, and we can see families reconnected when people start moving in that direction. And this is my expertise. As you know, I've been working in the social enterprise sector, these nonprofit businesses that are, are hiring successfully people who are really struggling. And these uh, derelict buildings, I think, are a great fit for, for our sector. Um, one of the social enterprises I've started is called Purpose, and um, I, I'm just really quite quite excited about it. Um, and uh, it, it's it's time for Winnipeg to turn the corner on some of these uh, outstanding challenges.
Sean, we think we only have time for one more question here. But one of our guests from earlier this year suggested that if if these kinds of homes, these kinds of properties were in the south end of the city, Winnipeg would not stand for this. Her name is Tracy Ball. She lives in Old Kildonan. And she says she had been calling the city and emergency services for months about an abandoned building next to her house on Matheson Street. And this past summer, it went up in flames. So here's what she had to say. We all used to talk that that danger zone was from Selkirk to downtown. And then it was Mountain to downtown. And then it was Inkster to downtown. Well, we're past Inkster now. And when do we start saying that the whole thing is now a problem? It is a complete north end problem. It's, it's citywide. It's, but this would not have been allowed to happen on the south side. So we only have 60 seconds, Sean. But do you agree with her assessment? Well, I, I think people are trying. They're trying inside these old systems that we've developed at, at the city. And... I just want to go back to the, my announcement about this $100 million community housing land trust. What the land trust would do is purchase the land and then invite the nonprofit or the co-op to build on the land. And we uh, we can invite people to invest in the land trust, Winnipeggers, but also foundations so that they can get a financial rate of return and a social rate of return. The housing trusts are emerging all over the world. Sorry, Sean, and I just said we, we I, I, I actually, uh, well, the, I'm just going to re- repeat my question. Do you agree with her assessment on well, if it was in the south end that of the city that we I wouldn't stand for it? Residents would be outraged if, it, if this were in the south end for sure. And I just don't want to, I just think we need new tools and let this, we'll see the civil service being able to respond in more innovative ways. Sean Loney, we thank you so much for your time, and thank you for uh, rolling with the punches with this this morning as we yeah. when we had our issues getting a hold of you in our previous segment. We appreciate it, sir. I enjoy the show. Have a good day, guys. And we are going to speak with Kevin Klein at 835, and we'll have many more candidates on throughout the day on 680 CJOB. And if you have any questions on derelict buildings you want asked, let us know, 204-780-6868. <laughs> It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. A reminder that we do have tickets to give away for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Saturday. Edmonton in town. We're asking you to text us about the either the uncommon or less common sports you enjoy or perhaps the, the games that you enjoy playing, like the physical style games, yard games or what have you. And we've got a pretty crazy wrestling uh, inspired story to share in our next segment. And we also gave away tickets uh, previously for the tenors coming to town. Uh, we just announced that show this morning. They are coming to Winnipeg on December 13th. Club Region Event Center. Who got the tickets for it, today? Sherry Pockler. Sherry Pockler. Congratulations. We'll have more tickets to give away all week long on the start. Today, we are launching a series of discussions on six issues which have made their way to the forefront of this campaign. A new Winnipeg mayor is going to be decided on October 26th. And today, we will focus on derelict buildings. On Thursday, our focus will be transit. Next week, crime will be in the spotlight Tuesday. Uh, and uh, homelessness and housing issues on Thursday. And then we'll wrap our conversations, Brett, with the candidates with a day of discussion on roads of and active transportation on the 18th of October and then the future of downtown on the 20th. Joining us now to talk about derelict buildings is Kevin Klein. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. How are you, gentlemen? Yeah, we're doing really well, Kev. Uh, there are vacant and derelict buildings throughout this city. 
concentrated in many North End and inner city neighborhoods. The last number we received from the city was over 600. Winnipeg's fire paramedic service has dealt with numerous fires in recent years, and we're looking to get the updated and latest numbers on that as well. What, if anything, would you do to deal with this problem of derelict uh, houses and, and buildings in our community? Well, I'm already doing stuff. I, I don't need to talk about what I would do. I'm already putting stuff into action, and I, I will continue to intensify that as mayor. I've already put a motion forward that uh, allows the fire department, Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service, to start charging owners of these derelict buildings every time there is a response to that property. And that can be anywhere between ten and $50,000 every time they call because it's unsafe. It's unsafe for the women and men of our emergency services and all first responders. It's unsafe for people that live in that area. It attracts crime, and we've had enough crime. The other thing that I tried to do, uh, as on council a couple times, and my colleagues uh, all voted it down, was I wanted to apply a fee to vacant and derelict buildings. And that fee would multiply every year. So you would start at 2,500, go to 5,000, 10,000, and so on. And why I said a fee, uh, unlike a lot of people that are saying, well, let's put a, uh, you know, we have bylaws for it, we're gonna enforce the bylaws. You can put in all the bylaws you want. And as long as the people pay the property tax, you can't uh, take that building. But if you put fees, those get applied to the property tax, and as soon as they don't pay it, we can start action to take that property. Kevin, I want to jump back to what you mentioned about this fee. If if the Winnipeg Fire Service has to go out anywhere from ten to fifty thousand dollars, where's that at? Is that was that a proposal before council was dissolved? I just want to be our listeners to be really clear on where that's at. Yeah, that's a very good question. Now it, it passed. I was able to get it passed at council. Uh, And, you know, again, that's kind of the problem that we have. It falls into a a black hole, if you will. We need someone as mayor and council that will follow up on this. So I know that the fire chief, I heard the fire chief on media and spoke to him. They want this. They've been working on this for years. So right now it's in the public services hand because we weren't able to put a good deadline onto it. We never do that and we should. So it's in the system. And as mayor, I would work quickly to have it uh, Im- implemented so that the charges start beginning that day. Kevin, the process to track down some of these owners of these houses and properties, it can take months, if not years. So what steps would you take to reduce the time to deal with the owners of these properties? Well, the time to deal with the owners of the properties, that's uh, you know under the province of Manitoba legislature. You have to follow a certain court process. But I, that's why I'll go back to the fees. The only way, the only way to fix this is start putting fees and start making them expensive and, and double them because then they will quickly not pay their taxes and then we can go in and we can take that property through the court system. It's not about us getting a hold of them at this point because you're right, a lot of the people that own these buildings don't even live in Manitoba. Some of them don't live in Canada. So we have to fight to get these buildings back, but we have to follow the proper process. Organizations like Habitat for Humanity here in Winnipeg have expressed a desire to partner with the city to purchase and convert properties into affordable housing, Kevin. What ideas and thoughts do you have on this area? Well, well, first of all, the city of Winnipeg cannot afford a $100 million land trust. We don't have the money. The city's in debt, over $1 billion in debt. We already sell uh, vacant land or land that the city owes for $1 to not-for-profit groups. The problem that I see, Greg, is the time that it takes to demolish a property. 
And we hear, and I've spoken to a lot of people that have inherited a home or they're starting a little, you know, a side project and they want to rebuild a home or renovate or to build new. The biggest, most costly part of the process is demolishing the property. It could take well over a year and tens of thousands of dollars because you have to have a plan in place. You have to get a lot of permits, not just for the demolition, but to move forward. I've put forward a plan of what would be done quickly. And that's have a 30-day demolition period. So when you apply, within 30 days of the time that you apply, your permit to demolish will be there. We don't need all the other information. However, the fee calling that vacant property remains. So we're not going to let you keep it as just a grassy or a weed field either. We're going to make sure that you, have, that you build or that you work with the city or other people to get rid of it. And the problem with, uh, with it is that a lot of companies that want to build not-for-profits, including uh, the ones that you've mentioned uh, at Habitat for Humanity who I've spoke to, can't pay the money to demolish a place because it becomes very expensive for them too. So if you allow the property owner to demolish the place without all the fees attached to it, they're going to be able to sell the land at a much cheaper price and it will get developed quicker. We are speaking with Winnipeg mayoral candidate Kevin Klein. And Kevin, uh, Tracy Ball is somebody that we spoke to on this radio station a couple of months ago. Tracy lives in Old Kildonan and says she had been calling the city and emergency services for months about an abandoned building next to her house on Matheson Street. And this past summer, sure enough, that abandoned building went up in flames. And I just want to play a piece of audio here because she has a suggestion and we're curious to know what you think about that. We all used to talk that... That danger zone was from Selkirk to downtown. And then it was Mountain to downtown. And then it was Inkster to downtown. Well, we're past Inkster now. And when do we start saying that the whole thing is now a problem? It is a complete north end problem. It's, it's citywide. It's, but this would not have been allowed to happen on the south side. So in Tracy's estimation, if this happened in the south side of the city, that it would be a much bigger deal. So what's your take on that assessment? Well, first of all, Tracy makes a good comment, and I, I can hear her frustration, and I, I appreciate that. Um, the very first job that needs to be done is we need to have the bylaw officers doing their job when they are finding the derelict properties and then start applying the fees. This is not a north-south-east-west problem. I have houses in Charleswood, Tuxedo, Westwood that we're working on that are derelict right now, um, that we're you know trying to board up because uh, people have left or it's been a, the subject of a fire. It doesn't happen as often in the South End because there's newer built homes. So we don't have a lot of the same uh, older style homes as the North End does. But really, it's, it's about us. It's about the public service in the city of Winnipeg. We need to direct the public service to take this issue seriously. It only became serious because Sal Burroughs started making it a, you know, a big issue and going to the media and did a fantastic job of doing that. When I moved my motion about fire and when I moved my motion previously that everyone on council did not support to put the fees attached, this is when we started addressing the problem. That's the fundamental issue in City Hall. It's complacency. It's status quo. We need to make these types of issues a priority and we need to focus on the safety of our residents. And this is a safety issue. Kevin, do you think there's a bias towards certain part of the, the city that we're comfortable ignoring the, the Point Douglas is uh, certain parts of of North Winnipeg and Central Winnipeg because, you know, we're, we're used to, quote unquote, we're, we're used to certain things happening in those neighborhoods and, 
And so th- they become a lack of a priority. And what a sad, sad statement that would be. I hope not. Um, I, I think we do see it more often there. But again, it's the lack of ability, the lack of leadership at city council. We are the leaders. We direct the public service. We have to stand up and we have to take uh, be accountable for that. It's our fault, council's fault. We need to direct the public service to say, we know where all these derelict houses are. Let's start the process because everything takes so much time. We have to get a report and then get a report on why we're getting a report and then get a report on why we're getting a report for a report. Nothing is getting done. What we have to do is be leaders. And we have to say this is a crime issue, this is a safety issue, and it's not fair to the residents living in that area. So we have to take the steps to direct the public service to give demolition permits in 30 days, apply fees and hefty fees. I would start at $5,000 a year if you had a derelict property. The next year, 10, the next year, 20, and so on, until we can get these properties taken over. If we start buying property with money that we don't have and going into debt, that's not going to work because people will just take advantage of it and charge us more. We need to charge for first responders and not play around with it. Police had to go there. We're going to charge you. Fire had to go there. We're going to charge you. Ambulance, we're going to charge you. And start making it clear to the ones that don't want to take care of their derelict homes that we're going to apply pressure until they're gone. But we also have to make it easier for those that actually inherited the property or just bought it because they want to start a small side hustle. We have to make it easier for them to get through the system because right now you have to talk to five or ten people. As I said, wait a year or more for a demolition permit. This problem is on the city of Winnipeg. And as mayor, I will fix it. Kevin Klein joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kevin, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. And we'll hear from Rana Bakari at 10.15, Scott Gillingham at 11.30, both on Connecting Winnipeg with Loren McNabb, Robert Falcon Willette and Rick Schoen, back-to-back at 1 o'clock at 1.15 on the Jim Toth Show, and Jenny Motkaluk will join the news with Rich and Julie at 5.35 for more on derelict buildings. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb's Unconnecting Winnipeg. We have Boo at the Zoo passes to give away at the end of this segment, a family four-pack of Boo at the Zoo. But we're also giving away tickets for what on Saturday, Mr. Mackling? Oh, it's the Blue Bombers hosting the Edmonton Elks. And a win for the Blue Bombers gets them just one step closer. A couple other things need to happen, but one step closer to clinching. First place in the West and, of course, that all-important home date for the West Final. We're asking you, inspired by our discussion yesterday about the the surging popularity of pickleball, what uh, either less common sport do you like to play or what games do you like to play, you know, around the yard, around the house, like George here. Who? <laughs> what category does this actually fall under, Brett? <laughs> I don't know that I call this a game or a sport. I just call it lunacy. George says, about 17 years ago, myself, my son-in-law, and some friends We'd put all the mattresses in the house in the basement, and then it would all start. We would wrestle like you wouldn't believe. We did every move from rock bottoms to stone-cold stunners. Hang on a second, actually. There we go. That's better. We're going to talk about some stone-cold stunners. Stone-cold! Stone-cold! Says I gave one of my sons a power bomb. And put it through the hanging ceiling. I have no idea what a power bomb is. 
I know what a hanging ceiling is, but so a power bomb is if you you pick somebody up uh, and you you and then you so their their head is kind of in the air and then you slam them down on their back. Gotcha, Brett. Thank you. Good description. So I guess when they picked them up, they would have hit some like a ceiling that was hanging. Yeah, the suspended ceiling. Uh, yeah, I could. Okay, this okay. is this is great picture painting. <laughs> um, let's see. Through the I was hit in the head twenty times with a cookie sheet. <laughs> Oh, that's not funny. My wife at the time was not happy that all of her cookie sheets were gone. So I would have to buy wife, wife at the time. <laughs> Operative oh, part of this entire thing. <laughs> um, I didn't. I'd have to go buy more cookie sheets. And then next weekend we would do it all over again. And we would also play WWE entrance music like this <laughs> on the stereo. Lots of good times oh, and good boy. exercise. Is there video of this, George? <laughs> That's what I want to know. To keep those stories coming, we'll pick a winner at 9.15. But in the meantime, call the number 5 at 204-780-6868 for a family four-pack of Boo at the Zoo passes. Call the number 5, gets the passes. Jeff Braun with the news is coming up next on The Star. We are asking you, inspired by our discussion yesterday on the explosive popularity of pickleball, um, what are the less common sports you enjoy playing or the you know, sort of the physical games like lawn darts? A lot of people have been saying lawn darts. Kevin, by the way, Kevin Brown saying pickleball uh, plays three times a week at Dakota Community Center where it can actually be played five days a week and the city apparently just can't keep up with Isn't court requests something? for this. But... Um, would you like to read Mike's text or shall I? I guess I will read it with some trepidation, Brett. Uh, I had two younger cousins who lived right across the street at a pool in the backyard. And when my two cousins would come over to swim, they would always want me to play Jaws with them. <laughs> they would swim and I would dive off the board and go after them, watching them get out of the pool. Being so scared was priceless. I just had to voice the Jaws theme song. Dun, 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 dun. We all know it. Yes, Mike, we all know it. We all love it. <laughs> Thanks, Mike, one of our runners-up. And uh, we had a, we've had a lot of people mention the Belgian bowling, and uh, I was talking to one of our listeners who says apparently they have a league at the Belgian club, and they're more than willing to teach anybody who wants to learn. So I would need to look into that, of course. But, uh, yeah, Belgian bowling, super fun. And Curtis in Morris says English Billiards and the league in Winnipeg is apparently the oldest sports league in Western Canada. Get out of town. It's over 100 years old. That is pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. I was also thinking about our conversation with, um, I'm going to say, Keith McCullough. <laughs> Todd McCullough, the former NBA star from Winnipeg, and uh, his reign as world pinball champion. Oh, yeah. You know, so there you go. You can shift gears dramatically when it comes to sports to activities that uh, we've, we we enjoy to do. And one of the, the common ones that we heard today, of course, was one of the all-time classics, Hide and Seek. And Liz is our winner today. What does Liz have for us? Well, a little bit of a twist here. OMG, Hide and Seek. We used to love playing this game. We only had one mishap. <laughs> it was getting late. And we saw our parents coming down the street. So we all ran in the house and jumped into our beds. 
And uh, when they came in, they always came to check on us. Well, this one night they discovered my brother was missing <laughs> and asked my older <laughs> sister where he was. Um, oops. He was still hiding in a box across the street. Needless to say, someone got grounded. <laughs> I wonder how long it was out there for. <laughs> Hello? Uh, ladies, let us know how long Anyone? was your bro. Anyone coming to find me? <laughs> well, Liz, maybe you can take your bro to the bomber game on Saturday because you are the winner. Facing Canada Life Center to the north, right arm outstretched with the stick, in full stride, left arm holding off an opponent. It is an absolutely beautiful piece of work. You want to be make sure because we have talked about this for all you guys to be here today to be a part of this it's very special for him i know to you he wasn't just your captain he was one of you you do not appreciate how great a player and how great a teammate he is unless you get a chance to play with him the best this he was the best coach i've ever had but he was an even better human i feel that dale's greatest accomplishment is Mary Crystal. As you remember Dale today, our family will always remember you, and now he is home again here in Winnipeg. Thank you. So for the first time, a former Winnipeg Jet has been immortalized in the form of an incredible statue, which now sits in True North Square, just a few steps off the intersection of Hargrave Street and Dale Howarchuk Way, the son of the player many believe to be the greatest Jet of any era joins us now. It's wonderful to welcome back to the start, Eric Howarchuk. Eric, good morning to you, friend. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing really well. What an emotional day it was for fans on Saturday. I can only imagine what it was like for you and your family. I, I thought the ceremony was perfect. The statue stunning and your mom's speech left. I, not a dry eye in the neighborhood or elsewhere. I know uh, fans watched around the world that ceremony online. So what was it like for you to finally see that statue on Saturday, Eric, and and, and just to hear your mom speak like that about your dad? Yeah, she did uh, such an incredible job. I know she was kind of nervous, and she spent a lot of time kind of reading or writing it all out, and um, she'd kind of rehearsed it a couple times for me, and you know what I said, Mom, you did such a good job of writing it that I think you can just go up there and read it. And um, because she was so prepared, she went up there and just uh, didn't stutter once or anything. It, it was beautiful. and um, She uh, she really meant all that. And uh, I thought it was pretty powerful when she said he's home now because he really did feel that way and um, loved this city. As, as we know by now, your dad's legacy goes well beyond the ice. You are instrumental in ensuring his legacy continues. So, tell us a little bit about Howard Chuck Strong. Yeah, it's been um, it's been quite the journey, quite the learning curve. Um, you know, uh, it was something my dad wanted to continue with, and uh, before he passed, he was uh, adamant that we started like an actual um, uh, fundraising initiative to give out to different causes, and um, you know, mostly here in uh, Manitoba and in Ontario where we were living. So. Um, you know what? It's been a it's been a really cool journey, and we really couldn't do it without the support of every single person. You know, it's it's sometimes it sounds like we raised it, but really everyone in the community is who's raising the money, and um, that should be noted. 
Well, I should let you know, Erica, my kids never had the pleasure of seeing your dad play, but because of the love that so many hockey fans have uh, and continue to grow for your dad, his style of play, the way he represented Winnipeg, the way he represented Canada, he's just become that that legend that every generation seems to understand the impact. And to be able to take my kids to that ceremony on Saturday afternoon Really, I mentioned this on Monday morning, sort of sews together the heritage, the history of that 1.0 era of the NHL in Winnipeg and the 2.0 era and that and that 16 years in between. And and it's almost seamless now that that connection between the two histories, even though and people will say, yeah, the Jets history lives in Phoenix. Let's put that aside for a minute. There is that that sort of that continuity now would you agree with that oh i agree completely like um i don't think it's fair to uh you know the fans here to just that everyone's just supposed to forget all the great hockey that was played here in the 80s and things like that um you know and clearly there that's not going to happen now and um you know what i just think it was a, a really special weekend and uh you know I don't know if you were looking at the weather and stuff for that ceremony, but it, it, a few days out, it was looking like a 70% chance of rain. And um, we ended up getting a really nice, cool day. And it was just really uh, just a totally a special week. And I know uh, this meant so much to my family. And we can't thank the Jets and the city enough for all they've done for us. I mean, it's, it's just since we got off the plane, it's been amazing. And uh, we actually popped up to Gimli. We're up in Gimli right now for uh, – a couple of days just kind of soaking it all in. We obviously had the old cottage up here. So the people who owned it let us stay here for a couple of nights. And uh, it's just been a really, really special week. Eric, you know, I mean, I like everybody else, and I'm not even a big hockey fan, but uh, when I was a kid, I, of course, I was a fan of Dale Howarchuk. Every kid knew who Dale Howarchuk was. But it, it does, it, you know, here we are 30 years later, and it, it continues to blow me away at just how much your dad means to this meant and means to this community when you were growing up did you comprehend at all just how special a connection your dad had with hockey fans here um i sort of knew but i mean um you know it still uh blows my mind every time i come back and uh, just seeing all the howard chuck jerseys everywhere and um just how much people know about his career um and, you know, he loved coming here and obviously my family's from here and I was born here and, um, you know, there's nothing like, uh, being a Jets fan and being part of Winnipeg. It's, it's a special place. And uh, I was able to introduce my in-laws to the city this weekend. And, um, I mean, I think they're big fans of it now too. And who wouldn't be? Uh, it was weird to be, uh, cheering Paul coffee. <laughs> On Saturday, <laughs> because of what he and the Oilers did, but that that point that he made and he made uh, Paul Coffey's speech was tremendous. And I've got a Paul Coffey uh, Pittsburgh Penguins jersey, not Edmonton Oilers. That would never come into my house. But I, I so I adored the way Paul Coffey played hockey and what he had to say about your dad and that that little tidbit about the fact that the picture of your dad and Wayne Gretzky as far as Paul Coffey knows, is the only picture in uh, Rogers Arena of a hockey player other than an Edmonton Oiler. That that really jumped out for me. I know. That was pretty cool. I didn't know that either. Um, no, you know, all the speeches were pretty powerful, and um, I, I really enjoyed uh, listening to all that. And, um, 
you know, it's just, a, it was a special, special week. And, um, yeah, you know, Paul's always, uh, always got something to say. And I, I love talking to him and, um, him and my dad were pretty good friends. And along with all the other guys that were speaking as well, it was, it was nice to see all his friends gathered. And I know it meant a lot to those players to be able to unveil that statue. <clears throat> Brother Ben is in the Manitoba Moose training camp wearing 55. <laughs> I think we know why Shifley wears 55. Uh, it might not be as obvious or more obvious with you, with your brother. Uh, probably not going to wear 10. That has to be pretty special, not only for him, but your family, to for him to have that chance, that opportunity. Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's funny because I think uh, Mark messaged my brother and said, hey, you're wearing 55 at camp this week. And he was like, no way. So, Oh, really? Uh, Isn't that yeah, something? I the Jets picked that for him, so uh, you know what? It was kind of, uh, or sorry, the Moose picked that for him. But um, you know, it's 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 all fitting, and you know he's uh, he's a great player. He had a great season in Jacksonville last year. He plays with a lot of bite. Um, <clears throat> he definitely can get under some guys' skin, and he can put the puck in the net. So I'm excited to see what he can do this year, and um, I think this is a good opportunity not only for him but for the Moose. Well, we got to let you go, Eric. Thanks so much as always for your time. It's been great to have you back in the in the city, and we look forward to speaking to you as uh, more and more Howard Chuck Strong events and initiatives uh, take hold. Uh, you're always welcome on this program. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you guys have a great day. Eric Howard Chuck joining us live on 680 CJOB. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.